When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey gang, Red Hills Rancher here, back with your weekly episode of Ranching Reboot. Got something special this week. Our first ever two-time guest, Mr. Dallas Mount from Ranch Management Consultants, joins us today to talk about having the hard conversations that nobody wants to have. With me as always, my good buddy, CK. Now let's welcome Dallas Mount to the show. So Dallas, welcome back to the show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm uh... I feel a bit more familiar with the show now, having listened to you guys for a few hours in my head. So, <laughs> oh, so you're <laughs> are you kind of caught up a little bit? Uh, I'm behind. I'll I'll admit, but uh, I I cherry pick. So that's okay. I won't judge you for that. So we wanted you to come back today. Um, we've kind of had a dairy mini series that uh, I think was pretty cool, and we want to get into talking about some some people things, right? You know, because that's one of the parts of this business that we don't really talk about very much is how do we build a team and how do we build a a team that will run an operation that can survive loss of a a team member. So, yeah. So what's a, so what's a beginner's guide to people management and team building? Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big question, Brian. (laughs) In one sentence, can you not quite, um, here's an interesting way to think about it. Um, I like to ask this when I'm in front of a pretty large group. Um, and I'll, I'll ask people, I'll say, picture a business that, you know, that you can think of, maybe it's a neighbor's place. Maybe it's somebody, you know, in agriculture that, that is no longer in business. Okay. Now just, just capture that story in your mind. So, um, and now I want to ask you to dissect the underlying reasons for that, that ranch, that farm no longer existing. Is, is it because of the production, right? Was it that the cows didn't breed, uh, the crops didn't grow, right? Production was the, was the cause of the business failure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many people would, you know, raise their hand and like, if we were doing a class of 300, you, you might see one or two hands pop up, right? Okay. So the next thing is, uh, let's think about ecologically. Okay. Was was it an was it an ecological failure? Did did all the did, did it just turn to bare soil, or did weeds take over? You know, all the soil blew away. Nothing would grow in the place. So so ecologically caused the disaster of the place. And you know, you, you normally don't get any hands on that one. Um, and then I ask about well, economically, financially, was it because there was there was no way you could come up with an operating plan that would meet the needs of the people? That, you know, there just there there wasn't a plan to be had. Even if people had put on their uh, best, you know, creative minds and come up with all the solutions there, there's no way you're going to make this thing work, right? We usually get a few hands on that. And then I say, well, how many of it was it, was it a people issue? Did, did distrust brew between the, the main partners, right? Were, were people not unified in the direction they were going? Were they pulling in opposite directions? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
how many people would that describe the situation to? And you can imagine what happens, right? Right. 90% of the auditorium, the hands go up in the air. Okay. So, so if people issues are the main thing that's going to bring multi-generational ranches, farms and ranches down, then why do we spend so little time talking about this and managing around it? Why, why do we, you know, when you have a little bit of management time available to you to do high value tasks, what, what do people choose to do? All right. What do they, what do they reach for? What do they do? What do you guys think? <laughs> let's run gross. Thing? Let's run some G gross margin analysis on another cow enterprise or there we you know, go. Let, let's yeah. run some math so, and try to figure out how to make more money or to spend go. less. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. It, isn't, well, isn't that what they teach in the school that shall not be named? <laughs> we do, we do teach that. And perhaps we overemphasize its importance sometimes because, uh, you know, that that's going to help. But if you've got an underlying people problem where, you know, there's no shared vision, uh, there's distrust, doesn't matter what your gross margins are. Right. It, it really doesn't. So, uh, so, you know, it, we, we need to, instead of reaching for the things that we always reach for, right. The, the bull sale catalog or, you know, the seed variety things or whatever people are going comfort to zones. Those that are comfort, comfort zones. zones. Right. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let, let's, let's look inside of our, our business and develop the skills in ourselves to, to navigate these, uh, these things. And they're, they're not easy to navigate. I mean, this is the stuff that separates the, the high level managers and business leaders from, from a, from a ranch foreman, right. Or a farm foreman. This, this is the thing that's going to be the differing factor is the ability to lead people, to build teams, you know, as you said, to, to help build, motivate people and bring people together that bring you their best. What is a way that you can open up the doors so that they're actually willing to hear that though, is how they, they realize it's a people problem. Yeah, maybe this is a, a cop-out answer, but I think this realization is the first piece, right? Yeah, yeah. Of we have a problem mm-hmm. and and I'm part of it, mm-hmm. right? My, my leadership, my uh, abilities in this area are are part of what's capping this business at where it can perform. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that's great. So it's like, um, like anytime there's conflict, you should always start with how can I help resolve the conflict first? Because if I'm willing to resolve it, and I'm not saying it's a conflict situation, but even just a change that needs to happen, I've got to be willing to do it if I want other people to trust me to, to trust themselves to change too. Right. Yeah. You know, and I think maybe even a more practical way of looking at it is, and I've had mm-hmm. people tell me this that said, you know, I'm, I'm not, ever going to hire anybody to work with me. It's always going to be my wife and I, or my wife and I and our kids and you know, whatever. And so I don't need to spend time doing all that stuff. Right. And, and I can just ignore that whole part because I know I'm not good at it. I'm really not interested in learning how to be good at it. So we're just going to keep it us and move forward. And, you know, I, I, I kind of shudder at that because for one thing, it's, it's really going to cap whatever your business can be, right. There's going to be this, so your ability to work in it is 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 going to limit whatever you guys can do, right? If you're saying, "Well, I'm not going to hire anybody," it's just going to be us. So, so right there, you've you've built yourself a ceiling of, well, this is the scale the business can be, right? Which, when you're 35, 45, 55, even that that might seem like, oh yeah, I can do it all, right? 
But I think at some point in your life, you're going to be like, I want somebody to go out there and do some of these miserable jobs that I don't want to do all the time. Right? So, so that's one part of it. And I think the second part of it is the, the, the people skills are maybe even more important when it comes to your family. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And dealing with that piece of it. Cause those uh, are go it's ahead, easier Peter. to hurt family. I think too. Uh, <laughs> and I think yeah. sometimes so, the hard conversations we need to have about management are more difficult because there's a family dynamic and yeah. you know, there's, there's years of history. Like we're just not going to talk about this one, spe- one, one thing. Yeah. 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 That's exactly right. And we, for, I mean, there's a couple things going on there. First, first of all, we let ourselves behave more, more poorly. We're less disciplined with ourselves when we're dealing with family. Right. So we'll let ourselves say things to our father, to our brother, to, you know, a sibling, uh, that we wouldn't let ourselves say to somebody right. that, that's not in our family, right? Um, and then the second part of that is the importance of getting it right. I mean, it's so important to get it right when it is family because those relationships are so critical. Right? So. so how, I mean, what are some of the ways you've seen things go wrong and and how have they been put back on a better path? Yeah, boy, things go wrong. Uh how long? How long an episode do you want to do? Uh. <laughs> I have three and a half hours space on my memory card. Go for it. So the, the things go wrong stuff is going to be a lot to do with with succession and with passing on the assets and the and the leadership of the business. Right. That that's often where feelings get hurt that are really hard to repair. So um, expectations is a big piece of that. Right. So. So you you and I are the three of us are all siblings and we all grew up on the place and, and Mm -hmm. we all love it. And the, we're thinking that a third, a third and a third, right? Well, um, CK and I decided to go off and do something different. Um, We eventually found our way back to the ranch and, and here it comes down and, and maybe mom and dad say, yep, a third, a third and a third, right? Well, maybe Brian was there for, 15, 20 years keeping all the balls in play while CK and I are off saving the world, right? And, and so now Brian's like, wait a minute, guys. I've, I've been pulling the weight here, working for nearly free, and you guys come waltzing in, and, and now you think you're entitled to it, right? So that's going to create some underlying animosity that's probably going to be around for the rest of our lives, right? So, so that would be an example of something that, that would often be the source of that. Um, you know, the, the, you can go all the way, the challenge is we grow up with these people, right? So right. the same person you gave a noogie to and shoved their head in the toilet when they were <laughs> nine is maybe now you're, your CFO and you're the CEO, right? Or, or roles are reversed. So, and so all that stuff from our childhood comes back in and, and messes up the pot as well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's just a myriad of things that could go wrong. So, so what puts it back on the right track? Um, boy, uh, starting to, so having some maturity, of course, first and some, and some years underneath of us really help. But, but then if we could start a, a learning process together and, and appreciating the position of the other folks and really understanding what their perspectives are. Mm-hmm. and what's important to them and where they're coming from. I, I think that's the, the place to start is to really listen to each other 
and, and when I say listen, really be able to listen, not just hearing what they're saying, but really be able to listen. And then for us to feel like each of us are understood, right? So as I'm telling you my positions and, and what my understanding of it is that, that I'm comfortable that you really understand what I'm saying. And, and then that's the spot to move forward, right? Is that, okay, I, here's what I hear you saying. And, and these are the things that are concerning you. And this is why that's concerning. This is why that's important to you. Right. And so. I think one of the hardest things is just knowing when to have that conversation or where to start. And, you know, I, I'm kind of reminded of a conversation, Dallas, that you and I were on with a mutual friend um, where he had, this is a mutual friend of Dallas and I's that had a, uh, his daughter, his 13 year old daughter come up to him and said, dad, if you ever sell the ranch, I'd be upset or, you know, worse to that effect. And the conversation went, you know, he wasn't expecting to have to have that conversation for a while of what, you know, what he was going to do at the ranch when he was gone. And at 13, does a person really know, you know, for sure what they want to do with the rest of their life, you know, and I, I I can't speak for that specific experience, but you know, and, and this is a case of, of the younger generation, a child really wanting to be involved in making sure they wanted to secure part of that legacy. So my question back was what part of it, really drives her bus. Okay. What, what about the ranch? Will she be upset about if she can't have any more? I mean, is it the cows? Is it the land? Is it just having a ranch? I mean, what, what specifically is it about, about it that she wanted passed down to her? Yeah, that's a, that was a good question back to him because it, it really needs to start diving into, okay, so we don't want you to sell the ranch. So what do we want? Right. I, I want to, I want to stay connected with the family place. I, I want to have an opportunity to work with livestock. Right. What, what is the underlying need there? And so, you know, let's kind of continue playing with that scenario. Say that there's another younger child involved that say nine. Okay. You know, so how do you leave, you know, how do you start that conversation and continue it for nine or 10 years and keep it flexible enough, but keep everybody happy and engaged and participating and talking about what they want? I think a lot of it comes down to culture of the business and the, cult and the culture in the family. And, and how do you create a culture where those are healthy conversations, where, where you're having them you know, and putting those things on the table and, and having people an opportunity to air some of those bigger picture things, right. Rather than so often in the farm and ranch families, I get to see that the culture is these things just aren't discussed. Right. And if you start asking about the future of these, you're, you're like the vulture on the fence post waiting for somebody That's me. to die. Yeah, the, yeah. the sister-in-law who asked too many questions. Or you're trying uh, to be greedy or want to get more than somebody else. You're trying to... Or like, why even are you asking these questions? Like, you yeah. know, because I want to know. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a fair thing to ask, you know. It, uh, you know, a good response to that is, well, I, I'm, I'm not asking it because I hope you're gone soon, but I right. am asking it. Because if we're going to spend our next 20 years here doing this, I kind of want to know what the long-term plan is. I mean, that 
that's not an unreasonable request. My thing is my husband has eight siblings, and so I just know how crazy that'll be. It'll just be crazy regardless. Yeah. And he's in the middle, right, CK? He's in the middle, and it's like what Dallas said is this um, – and if my family's listening to this, I love you, but you guys just don't want to talk about it. They just would rather change the subject, and, like, they are really good about just not talking about anything they don't want to talk about. What a, what a gift it would be if, if families had the ability and the, and the courage to, to say, here's the plan. Yeah. It, it's not perfect. Uh, we don't, you know, we feel like there's flaws in here. But we think we owe it to you guys to at least let you know what the plan is. Okay, here it is. Now, now you can make your decisions with your eyes wide open, right? Mm-hmm. Do you do you go off and do something else? Do you stay? You know, right? Maybe the plan is it all goes to this one. We, you know, our our goal is to keep this thing intact forever, and the only way we see we can do that is to give it all to one. And so here it is. We we love you all equally, but this is what we're doing with the farmer ranch. Or maybe the plan is it all gets divided up equally. And everybody gets these things. And uh, if you want to stay and work on it, great. We're going to pay you a wage to do that. Um, but there's no different treatment for the person that's staying versus those that are going. So now we can spend the next 20 and 30 years being a family and not yeah. having all this stuff in the closet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in a situation like that, what what is sweat equity worth? It sounds like you're setting me up. I know. <laughs> uh, so, I think sweat equity is is a is a bad idea. Okay. Now, now let me define sweat equity. Um, sweat equity is um, all right, Junior. I want you to come back here and work, and uh, the business can't afford to pay you what you're worth. So, so we're going to pay you less than what you're worth. But you know what? Someday we'll make it up to you. And we'll we'll credit that as sweat equity. So someday we'll get even on this, and and you'll you know you'll be treated fairly. Okay. So so that's that's the promise, right? Is someday. Okay. So so here's what happens: is Junior spends their time working there, and and ten twenty years pass, and then you know the someday comes, and so you know you open the envelope like at the Oscars, right? And so so what's the plan? And so. Either way, somebody's going to be pissed off in this deal, okay? There's there's no way out of this where, where people are not going to be hurt. Either Junior's going to be given, you know, let's say it's a $10 million asset, right? And so let's say they had uh, $20,000 deferred compensation for 10 years, okay? So $200,000 deferred compensation and put some interest on that, call it $300,000, right? And now they're given $10 million for that. Right. Well, well, everybody else is thinking, well, yeah, I might have taken that deal if I would have known it was on the table or Junior opens the envelope and OK, here's a here's twenty thousand dollar life insurance policy or twenty thousand dollar cash thing that we had or or you get to take these 20 cows. Right. And, and, and they're it's like, what? equal what? equal parts undivided interest. Right. Right. Yeah. So so somebody's going to get pissed off in that. OK, so so that's why sweat equity is a bad idea. It, it goes it always creates these kind of conflicts. Um, I mean, always is a strong word. Maybe that's not the right word to use, but it often creates these kind of conflicts, right? Uh, it, it, part of this deal is when sweat equity on farm and off farm heirs have a different perspective of what, of what sweat equity is. 
Okay. So if you're the one on farm, you've got a different understanding of what that is than the people that are off farm. Right. So, so a better way to do it is to say, all right, junior, we, we want you to come back here and be a part of this thing that the business can only afford to pay you $30,000 a year. But what we can do is we'll take, let, let's say what the work you're doing is worth 60,000 a year. Okay. So we're going to take the other 30,000 and we're going to capture that as unpaid wages on the books. Right. And, and every year that you collect that um, it's going to accrue interest. Right. So whenever this event happens, um, then, then essentially we'll have it captured of, Hey, here's what we paid you in terms of wages and here's deferred compensation or un- unpaid compensation. And this is the value of it. Okay. So it's, it's no longer this arbitrary sweat equity. It's actually real money. that's captured and everybody knows the plan and documented right? and, and documented. You got it. And that's the yeah. important part. I think if anybody's mm-hmm. considering like, like that kind of set sweat equity ar- arrangement, it has to be documented. You have to write it down. You have to document it. You have to have the paper trail. Otherwise, it doesn't hold water with anybody. That's right. That's right. Especially a court. You know. You, well, let's see. Let's see all your documentation for this sweat equity, sir. And uh, when you can't come up with it, the judge just kind of looks at you and goes, "Huh, that's interesting. I guess it doesn't matter." Yeah, it's invisible. Yeah. So, I mean, those are some people things related to some succession stuff. Um, you know, it, it, the uh, there's a lot more in the in the whole people side of thing. And it, it, here's an interesting one for you. It, there, there's two things that we hear no matter where you go. Number one is you can't find any leases in my area. That's that's what we hear no matter where we work, right? Everybody says that. Well, that's great. You guys talk about leasing, but you can't find any leases in my area, right? Well, watch out because somebody just leased up half of your neighbor's place down the road, right? And and then the second thing is, well, we just can't find any good help, right? So so watch out because somebody just hired an outstanding person that's going to come and be a part of their business. So so let's deal with the second one. You you can't find any good help. What if we changed this, the question to say, what would it take to attract outstanding people that want to be part of this business? Yeah. How can I get good help to find us? There we go. Right? Yeah. 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 So, so what do you guys think? I mean, what are, what, what would be, what would describe a place that you would just love to go be a part of that team? I, I think I when I'm seeing a lot of like ranch wanted help ads, it never really puts in what the expectations are from the person. And so it's always like more extractive of the person and almost like seems like they're not valued. And I think the biggest one for me is I will, you tell me the goal, I'm gonna get there as long as I feel like I'm being valued and then I, we will, I want you to be just as successful if you, if you were my family member or if I was just a ranch hand. Um, I think cool. that would be my number one thing is being valued. Cool. All right. So, and you said something else in there too about understanding the goal. Yeah. So, so we want to know what the end thing is, is mine. And then yeah. I want to have a significant contribution to helping get there. And mm-hmm. I want my contribution to be valued and, and recognized. Because... Like, um, so, okay. So my husband, before we went to vet school, we worked for a ranch manager in California. He got paid, I think 
$30,000 a year, but we got a ranch house. We also got a truck. And so those things, you have to realize that those are part of the income, right? So that's another 12 grand worth of income that we're not having to pay for. The truck is another, I don't know how much amount, but I think these people don't understand that it actually costs the company probably close to seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 to just maintain us as an employee. And I also think that's something that's not considered a lot of the times when you're getting hired onto an outfit. Yeah. Like that's right. A $30,000 wage doesn't sound impressive, but when you throw in, you know, a half a beef a year, a company yeah, truck yeah. and a house and a place to keep their horses, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, those values. And they start, horses too. Yeah. You know, that, that, those values start to add up. Um, you know, some of the, like the successful ads that I've seen that don't stay up on ranch world ads for very long, or, you know, the help wanted for, for horse and ranch jobs. They're the ones that actually detail what they're going to do for their employees. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, and so let me add to, sorry to interrupt you, Brian. We came on to that job. He was a ranch manager assistant. So the second in charge basically. And, um, he just, he was never empowered to like really make insightful decisions. And he was just being told what to do, like handheld, not giving him the, like, he very much could have improved a lot of the stuff that was wrong with the management, the herd, the, the way the land was being managed, but he was very much being, um, what is that called? When you, they got their thumb on him. Your thumb on you. I'm micromanaged. Yeah. Would that be the? He was very much micromanaged, and it was very, very frustrating because um, he wanted to be humil- like he wanted to have a lot of humility and be like, "Yeah, I understand. Like you're the owner, you're the boss. Like this is your place. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do." Um, but he never insist. Like you know, it's like having a goal is like I want to have this many wean calves at the end of the year, or I want their average weight to be this, or you know, instead of giving him benchmarks, he just every day was, you need to check the cows more often. He was checking them four times a day and they were having like death loss issues. And it was like, I don't think the problem is we're not checking cows enough. I think it's something else. Um, but they just weren't willing to hear that either. Okay. So, uh, things I'm capturing mm-hmm. from what you're saying. Uh, so I want to understand the purpose um, mm-hmm. So some, some recognition, and I, I think everybody feels that way. They want to be recognized for their contribution. Right. And, and then the word I'm going to use for what you just described is is to have some autonomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to Autonomy would be defined as the ability to be self-directed. And and I think we, we all want that as long as we understand the end goal that we're moving towards. Right, right. right. If you tell me I want, you know, 85% conception on those mature cows, I'm going to help you figure out how to get it. Right. But but don't tell me, well, you know, we always f- start feeding protein this day. We always, you know, right. do this. And we, we all kind of want our ability to figure that stuff out. Mm-hmm. Right. Having, I, I think, kind of in that situation, you know, I, I kind of like to put people in a, in a situation where I know that they should be able to handle because of the way that I've trained them. Mm-hmm. And then give them just enough room to make a mistake and catch it before things go wrong. And, or just, you know, go ahead and let them screw up. If it's not going to cost you a bunch of money, let them screw up and let, and let them learn lessons. Cause sometimes you just have to learn those lessons the hard way. 
Yep. But being micromanaged, you know, is is the most frustrating thing as an employee. And you know, as a rancher, as an outside person, I like to spend time alone. I I don't want to go sit. I don't want to go sit somewhere and tell somebody they're doing it wrong. You know, I don't. That that wouldn't be my style, I guess, is what I'm saying. But I've also been in a situation where, you know, the job needs to be done, and they're not doing it right, and you have to tell them how to do it. And there, there's a time right. and a place for each, I think. Yeah, yeah. Freedom, freedom to make mistakes, and and I I've heard it said, we want to give people the freedom to fail often and cheap. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Fail often and yeah. fail cheap. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. Failure is one of the best teachers. Um, I think, what is it? Fail stands for first attempt in learning. There mm-hmm. you go. All right. So, so uh, I want our little conversation we just had here. Uh, there's a book that uh, that I like to reference on this subject called Drive, and it's by mm-hmm. a guy named Daniel Pink, and it's called uh, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us. And it's, it's a really fun read. There's a great YouTube video out there on it, too, if you want to watch a, a quick like summary of, of the whole book. And uh, the things he, he points out are things that you guys have talked about. Uh, there's really three things that, that, that motivate people. There's per- purpose, right, the, the bigger picture, autonomy, the ability to be self-directed, uh, and mastery, the ability to get good at things and, and develop our skills on things. So um, I think the things we, we discussed all, all dive into those things. So, so if you believe Daniel Pink is right on that and that what people really want in terms of engaging careers is, is to be a part of something that they believe in, purpose, uh, autonomy, the ability to kind of figure it out, you know, and, and help be a part of the plan and deciding that. Uh, mastery, the, the ability to get good at something, to be skillful mm-hmm. at it, right? Think of think of stockmanship or grass management or genetics or whatever people are, are passionate about, right? They want to kind of become a master in their field. So to take the next step is how do you structure your business to, to tap into those things, to, to give people that connection to purpose, uh, the ability to direct themselves, um, you know, as with, I mean, it's your job as, as a manager and as a leader to say, here's the guardrails, right? So whether it's like a, a winter feeding program, like, here's the budget, right? This is the gross margin target we have. So, so we want to achieve these results within these guardrails. So it's your, your job to put the guardrails out there and then, and then mastery to help them really develop their skill set. And I think part of the thing that I like that goes into mastery is it's it's really cool to work at a place that is going to invest in you as a person. Right. You know, so whether that's saying, hey, there's uh, why don't you identify one or two really cool professional development things you could do this year. And if they're somewhat connected with your role in the ranch, the ranch would love to to put you towards that. Right. Or support you in those things. So. So you asked earlier, like what it would look like an operation would look like if I pulled in and I decided I wanted to work there just based mm-hmm. on looks that would be, you know, things well-maintained picked up, not a lot of junk laying around, you know, nice paint, things are clean. Vehicles are clean. You know, people are wearing clean. Maybe they've got a ranch logo on their shirt. Vehicles are, you know, like cabs aren't cluttered. Things look like they're in good working order. And there's people moving and doing things, not sitting around and waiting. Um, 
you know, that would be one of them. That'd be one of them. That and that shows, you know, that shows pride. That shows attention to detail. That shows that there's some leadership, and it shows that there's organization all right there, just as soon as you drive in. Mm-hmm. So, well, what what would keep you around? So, if you were there for a year or two or three, what, what kind of things are going to make you say, you know, what I could really see myself staying here for a while and, and giving it my best? Nobody ever leaves a job because of money, right? You don't quit because of your paycheck. You quit because of your boss. You quit because of the people you don't like working yeah. for. So that's the most important thing is is a non-toxic work environment. And that that means a square peg in a square hole, to be honest with you, because not everybody's going to fit in in every job. You know, not everybody's going to fit in in every team. That's just the way it is. And maybe maybe somebody on your team isn't the right fit, and they need to go down the road, and you need to find somebody that's a better fit. But you know, being part of a team with leadership that you know cares about you gives you a clear mission. Make sure that you have the training and the tools to accomplish that mission, and then gets the hell out of your way and lets you do it. Um, you know, I think I think one of the thing there's there's a lot of things I think that make good leaders that aren't often practiced in our industry. You know, like uh, company vacation. And I get, you know, like, okay, how does a ranch take a company vacation? But maybe that's, maybe that's a goal that we need to work for because there's nothing worse than having, you know, the hired help see the boss go on vacation while they're sitting there making money so he can afford to go on vacation. And when you think about it like that from the shoes you're hired help, I'd maybe rather pay somebody outside to come in and watch the place and take the whole team on vacation than have my hired help sitting at home thinking that he's paying for my vacation with his labor. Yep. Let me let me jump on top of that a little bit. Is is it a problem if your key people are not gone from the ranch at least two weeks out of the year? Is it a problem if they are not? Right. Well, I mean, at those two weeks out of the year, you know, like, well, like we talked about, that should be professional development. You know, that's okay. work time. What, what about what about outside of professional development? Yeah. I'm not vacation. I think. Yeah. I think my answer is yes. My yeah. answer is I think longer actually. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I think you know we've got this culture in agriculture in ag that oh we're we're always you know on my ranch it's sixty hours a week. You know, fifty-two weeks a year, boy, that that's terrible. You know, people should respond to that with, "My gosh, I'm sorry it takes that to keep your poor business afloat." Right? <laughs> it, it, it it should take human effort, not unhuman effort, to keep your business working. Right? It's almost so, like we've created that rule for ourselves. Like we just made it a rule. Like even if yeah. you you know don't even need it, you just do it. And it's like, why? <laughs> why? Got to be busy. Got to be busy. And I think that, you know, that, that's some of the mindset, some of the culture in ranching is, you know, if you're not working set up to sundown, you're a lazy piece of crap. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. yeah we we got to change that. So, yeah, I, I think it absolutely is healthy to say, you know, we're we're the kind of business that that strives for good work-life balance. And, you know, we think that means having time to be gone, you know, with your family or whoever you choose to be gone with. 
right? Um, so there, uh, I hope you guys have an opportunity to visit with James Sewell. James runs the TA ranch, um, over in Saratoga. He's, he's a really skilled guy at putting together teams and, and it leading those teams in effective ways. And, and, uh, he said, he said, one of my jobs, one of my most important jobs as the boss is to hire good coworkers for my employees. Isn't that interesting? He's he, cause he said, so true. That's yeah. a good paradigm. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he said, if I bring on uh, somebody that doesn't fit with our team, right. He, and so let's say we bring them on and for, you know, for a few weeks, everybody's going to be patient with them, right? You know, Hey, let's help so-and-so learn the ropes, help them learn how we do things around here. That and hazing he said, breaking few, in period. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If a few weeks turns into a few months and, and now there's frustration, right. Uh, James said it this way. He said it moves at some point, the transition, it moves from it being that person's problem, the, the underperforming employees problem. Mm-hmm. It moves from being their problem to being the boss's problem. Right. And if it's not dealt with, then the the team is going to is going to look to the boss of man we've got this person on here that's really not pulling their weight that you know is doing whatever those things are and and the boss is not dealing with it right so the the animosity starts to turn from the employee to the to the person in the leadership position um, so it it and it can just be caustic to a team you know if you're a better part of a team that has some underperforming people on it and it's not being addressed. It just takes the wind out of everybody's sails, you know? So what happens in a scenario where a manager gets hired by ownership and shows up first day on the job and senses a toxic team, like two foremen and two herdsmen. Okay. So how, how did, how would the, uh, how should the manager deal with it? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Okay. You know, I think you, you need to start building some trust and, and bringing those, those folks in. So bring, do some stuff with, with the whole group, uh, do some one-on-one time with each of them, right. To where you start developing some trust and some relationship building, um, more stuff as a team, more stuff, one-on-ones. And then I think it's time to start calling out some, some behaviors and some of those mm-hmm. kind of things, right. That, Hey, you know, we're, we're pulling in different directions. We're fighting for resources, you know, and, and, and address it as, as what the behavior is causing, right. Rather than saying, well, Brian, when you showed up late today, it just really ticked me off. Right. I, we should say, okay, when, when people don't show up on time and we've got work to do, it puts us off schedule. Right. And, and now it's going to cause this work to go over here and this to happen here. So, so what can we do to fix that? Well, we're, we're going to be on time. All right. So I have your agreement that we're going to be on time next time. Okay. So, so then when it happens again, you can pull so-and-so aside one-on-one and say, Hey, I, I thought we had this agreement. What's going on? You know, maybe it's, well, my pickup broke down on the way to work. Oh, okay. Well, you know, stuff happens. Right. Um, so I, I think as a, as a leader, you got to start diving through with that stuff. There'd probably be some people that say just clean house and start over. You know, I, I think I'd be a bit more patient than that. That was my knee, my, my knee jerk reaction when you said that, Brian, was like, oh, just get rid of them and start over new. But it's also you could work with them. Like maybe they're toxics because of different situations and we just kind of need to listen to why they are where they're at and how they are. Yeah. 
try to meet them where they're at, give them a chance to figure it out and, and come together as a team. And then if that's not working, then clean house or do a partial house cleaning. Because it might not be, you know, it might not be all four in that scenario. It might just be one guy that's that's the ringleader of, of being toxic, of the toxicity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess I also had in mind that, you know, if I'm showing up to an operation that's big enough to need, you know, four, four guys to run the livestock on it and I'm just supposed to be managing them, I probably don't want to fire them on day one. I need to learn where some shit's at first. <laughs> Good luck on that one, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> here's the keys. See ya. Yeah, here's the keys. See you later. We're out. <laughs> like, oh. How do I find my way around this massive place I just got hired to run? I fired all the help on the first day. That was a good idea. <sighs> so what uh I know I know you just did a Another podcast this morning with our friend Clay Connery that came out probably two or three weeks ago um, on Working Cows. And you talked about succession planning, and I had it on my list if you don't want to go over it because you're sick of talking about it. We don't have to cover it much detail, but you know, we, we did touch on it earlier about some of the succession planning. So what are some other other tips and tools to start these succession planning conversations? Yeah. Ah, good, good question. I, I'm happy to go into it again. It's one of my, it's actually one of my favorite subjects because it's so critical to to these ranch and farm businesses that we're a part of. Um, so, um, you know, let, let's let's think about it from from maybe the the current controlling generation's perspective first, right? So, so if we put ourselves into their shoes. Um, what are some, what are they worried about? You know, what are they, what are they thinking about? So uh, we'll probably pick on dad a lot here and, and I hate to be too uh, stereotypical, but, uh, but I will be just someone's <laughs> so, generic dad. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, so dad, what, what is, what is he worried about? What is he thinking about? Um, you know, I think one of the, one of the first things that I would think about would be the financial and economic pieces of it. Right. So, so here he is and he's, he's probably done a lot to either put this place together or to keep it together. And I'm guessing the road has been bumpy for, for some of those years. There's probably been some times when it felt like we might lose it all and, and felt like everything was on the line. And, and after learning things through the school of hard knocks, we were able to weather those times and, and keep it together or build it. And, and now, you know, it takes, we feel those pains a little bit more at night and it maybe takes a little bit longer to get going in the morning. And, and when you start to think about risk in the business, your attitude changes towards risk as, as it should. I mean, you're, you're being reasonable for, for that stage in life. Right. And, and so what he's probably thinking about is I can't afford to have another big hiccup at this stage. Uh, for one, I probably don't really have the desire to, or I really don't want to do it all again, right? Put it all together again. So, so the the risk tolerance is is probably going to tighten in quite a bit, right? And and that's reasonable for somebody, uh, you know, who's kind of, I mean, they they've got a lot of those bumps and bruises, and they're kind of at the, you know, they figured it out part of their business, right? So 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 the money and security on that, right? And and so maybe. 
got a spouse alongside with him and thinking, okay, if something happened to me, how are we going to make sure they're taken care of? Right. And, and those things. So what, what they really want is some security and, and those kind of things moving forward. Right. And, and they, that's reasonable. That's absolutely where they should be at that time. Uh, But the other big piece of it is, is identity. Right. And, and uh, when you're a rancher or a farmer, what you do and who you are start to meld together into one and, and you're separating your profession from your identity is a challenging thing in, in this business. And most farmers and ranchers are not good at that separation. Right. So, so they live at their work and, and work where they live. Right. So, so who they do and what they are is, is pretty much one. So, so when you start to think about backing off from the doing, well, then your identity is in question. Right. And, and so if you're, maybe you're serving on the conservation district board or the school board, or, you know, you've other important roles in town. Right. And when people meet you on the street, well, who are you? Well, I'm a rancher. Well, where do you ranch? Well, we ranch out here. You know, we run these cows. So even though if they, if we actually thought about it, if, if we stepped aside and let somebody else do it, we'd retain that. But that's a hard thing. It's easy to intellectually understand that, but it's a hard thing to understand that internally. Right. So it becomes really difficult to, to step aside out of that role because, because that largely is your identity. And, and it's and for many people it's it's their joy in life as well. So, you know, if you could do nothing else in the world, what would you do? I'd I'd be here on this ranch, right? I'd wake up right where I am, and I'd be with these cows, and I'd be out here on this stuff. You know, maybe not in February, but <laughs> the rest of the year I would be, right? Okay, so so that's kind of what what starts to make those those transitions difficult for that. And and another piece on the financial end is most farmers and ranchers put everything they ever make back into the business. Okay, so all their all their wealth they've ever built is is back inside that thing. So it's not like they can say, "Oh, well, I'll just go live on my four hundred one k." Right? I mean, yeah, most it, of us. it's either tied up in tractors or cows or or more soil. Yeah, that's right. Right. So 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 there's that piece uh, there. So so there's the perspective from the older generation. Now now let's shift to to the incoming generation. So maybe here's a, a young family that's um, you know maybe a few years out of college, maybe mid twenties, you know, early thirties, somewhere in that stage of life. And so they're really starting to move into their, to the part of their life where they, the responsibility should be going up. Right. And they should be taking on some, some decision-making roles in a business. Okay. So, so here they come in and, and maybe dad's in his fifties or sixties. And so, so junior lands on the ranch and, and what are they thinking about? Right. They've probably been out, whether it's a university or whether it's out for years, working for other people or even maybe in a, in a professional environment outside of ag. Okay. So they've seen a lot of different things away from home, had a lot of different experiences. So they come back to home and, and what are they going to have? They're going to have ideas and, and things they want to try. And, you know, they've probably been listening to crazy podcasts and reading books. Right. And, and so, You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're motivated and they're fired up and they're like, Hey, well, have we thought of this? Have we thought of that? Well, what if we did this? Okay. Uh, and so from a risk accepting standpoint, you know, where are they? They're, they're willing to try things, right. And they're wanting to grow and they're wanting to push and they're, and they're looking at the business probably thinking, boy, we've got to make this thing cover 
my life too. So in mm-hmm. order to do that, we need to grow the thing. So they're behaving very reasonably for where they are in life, right? Okay. So, so that's part of the underlying challenge is we've got these two very different business management strategies, one that's moving towards you know, the, the safer uh, status quo route and another that's moving toward that's into the exploration and, you know, let, let's try this stuff, please. And, and they're both right for where they need to be. And now you put these two together and boom, right? Fireworks happen. Okay. So, so we need a way the, the business needs to really spend some time navigating that, that intersection. And, and the, the best way to do that is through, is through well-structured communication, you know, what be time, uh, com- what be w- working on the business and, and those what be meetings where people are focused and, and willing to dive in and have those strategic level conversations, right? That, that different from the operational conversations. I, right. I think it's a good rule at what be meetings that we don't discuss operations. Okay. If, if somebody wants to talk about when are we going to feed the cows, when are we going to move them here, those, those are not conversations allowed on Whatby meetings, right? Those are Whitby meetings. meetings. Those are Whitby meetings. Your, your Whatby meetings need to be strategic level, high level things, right? You know, what kind of enterprises are we going to run? Uh, you know, what's, what's the risk management plan for the coming year? Uh, what's, the, uh, what's the next step on our management succession plan? Uh, you know, we, we have this uh, – these positions, do we need to add, change, restructure these positions? Those are the strategic level conversations that need to happen there. So I've been rambling on a while, so I'll stop and see, let you guys direct me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. I just, uh, you just kind of stopped and caught me without a question real quick. So, so like from, from the whole conversation we've had today, it's we need to we need to be able to grow a culture in our families and our businesses of talking about succession early and not lock ourselves into anything leave things open give the younger generation a chance to to grow and learn and grow into a part of the operation but then the backside of it is you know i think we've got that you know, we've got that one figured out, right? But how do we stabilize the older generation that either does or does not want to transition totally out of their role, whatever they're doing in, you know, management labor-wise? Yeah. How do we continue to give them purpose in life and something to do and an identity that they can be proud of but still – but still have a structure that allows the younger generation to risk and to grow and to succeed and to create and, and, and to create their own path outside of dad's shoes. Yeah. That, that's the perfect question. You've, you've hit it right on the head. Um, so it's always important. It's, it's more important to ask good questions and to have good answers. I think so. Right. <laughs> um, there's, there's always good questions. There's always good questions. Uh, so, so the three things you mentioned in, re- in, re- in retirement or, or looking at the outgoing generation, the three things are role control and money. Okay, you got, you got to address those three things. So, so role, what, what's going to be that person's role in the business? Okay, if they've been the the leader, the decision maker for for twenty years, it's unreasonable for to snap your fingers and say they're going to move to nothing. Right. Right. 
so so what would be the role of that? So I think it's got to be something significant. Um, now it's interesting. Some people don't want don't want that. I, I've worked with some outgoing ranchers that say, "Man, my best day would be if I was just in charge of checking water, right?" And it, that's all I had to do was just ride around and make sure these waters were open. So if if that's the case, that's probably an easier easier thing. But I would suggest most ranchers are probably not that way. They want to have some kind of a significant role in the strategic in the strategy part of the business. Okay. So, so what would that be? So maybe there's a piece of the enterprise that, that they could be left in charge of. Um, you know, maybe there's a, a board of director structure where the, you know, that person now becomes chairman of the board, right. And, and kind of oversees that. Um, but, but that's something that has to be dealt with. The, the control part would be on these significant strategic decisions. Is, is there an opportunity to veto? Okay. Right. So if, if we're going to, let's say Brian comes, Brian's junior, he comes back to the ranch and he said, I've decided we're going to sell the cow herd. Right. So, so at what point does the outgoing generation have the opportunity to say, no, we're not going to do that. Okay. So, so I think with most of the outgoing generation there, there's a period of years where they want to retain some level of major decision-making up and down, right? To say, yep, you know, I want, I want to sell this piece of the farm, right? Or I want to go and do a major acquisition over here, um, you know? So I think there needs to be some level of control retained. And then the last part would be financial, the money part. Um, you know, how do we provide for, for security, long-term care, those kind of things so, so that they don't have those worries. And in my opinion, though, that's probably the least challenging of those three the i think the role and the control piece are, are probably the more challenging ones and it's a lot of it's usually the control i think so what have you seen any good success stories where you know there, there's a mechanism put in place for older generation to ratchet down their their level of control over time or is that just something that that you've seen evolve and and happen Generally, it evolves and happens. Generally, as the younger generation displays competence, competency, right, 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 then the older generation is able to say, "Okay, they I, can trust I, it. I yep. see this is right. going to work. Yeah. I was overly worried about this to begin with. I probably should have never put this in place. Let's let's just take that out, right? Yeah, and, and kind of being experienced in that, you know, going going through some, you know, going through succession planning and, and the process. Cause it's, it is a process. Um, you know, when, when dad started passing on control to me, you know, there was some micromanagement, there was some friction and there was, you know, there was some, just, just trust me, just trust me and just, just calm down and, and trust me. And if I screw it up, it's only 3% of the ranch, no big deal. Right. Um, but over the years, he's, he's really learned to trust me and trust my management decisions but those first few years, you know, we're kind of rough and maybe that's just the way it is for a lot of people and you just have to work through it. And communication is key. And we haven't said that yet in, in 55 minutes, but let's say it again. I mean, communication, <laughs> communication is key. It, it, you have to have these conversations and you can't keep avoiding the issues. Yep. Well, I think even avoiding the issues is it's a form of communication, <laughs> <True>. right? 
I'm communicating that I don't want to talk about. <laughs> no, nope. avoiding right. the issue is a conscious decision to do nothing. <laughs> yeah. So Brian, was there a, a point in your mind that you remember when you felt like, Oh, my dad, my dad trusts me. Like, do you remember? It was, uh, I mean, I, re- I guess it was really five years ago that he really yeah. just was kind of like, I can't handle this. I'm glad you're here to do this. I will help you. Just tell me what you need me to do. And mm-hmm. and that was in the aftermath of the fire. That was trying to manage after the fire and get the fences rebuilt and, you know, get stock on the ranch and make money for the year. Right. You know, up to then, you know, we'd been working together on a, on a tree clearing project real close for about six months. And we had, you know, we're working together side by side every day. Uh, but as far as cow stuff, uh, the previous five years, you know, he'd just been turning over more and more over it to me and, and been going out less and less and checking on me and seeing what I was doing and, and some of that micromanagement, just like, well, I see there's cows over there. Like, yeah, I know there's three strays and I really don't care because they have water and I'll catch them when we go past there next week. You know, just chill. So, you know, th- there's some of that too. But, you know, as time goes on, that does get, that does get less. And that's, that's why I was asking, like, you know, is, is there, you know, have you seen that work? Is it just usually a gradual process that evolves? And It, it usually is, yeah. I, a couple of comments on that. Um, I, I think sometimes the expectation of the younger, the incoming generation is that I'm going to show up and within three years I'll be running the show. And and I think that's unreasonable. Um, you know, I mean, if, if you're – if you're the CEO of a multi-million dollar business, which is what most of us are in, in ranching, right? We're, we're in charge of huge amounts of assets. So if you're the CEO of a multi-million dollar business and your kid starts in the mail room, right? You're, they're not going to be the CEO in three years. Right. right? That's, that's stupid to think that they are. And the, the kid walking in with that kind of swagger walking into the mail room and saying, I'm going to be CEO in three years, he should have his ass kicked. I mean, you know, let's be honest. So yep. I think a lot of times we behave that way in agriculture is we we walk into the right, oh, I grew up here and I know everything. Well, you grew up there, but you don't know squat, right? Your job was putting in fence posts and pulling calves and, and that kind of stuff. And for most people in, in agriculture, they didn't get business leadership experience. They got labor experience. Right. So right, right. you might be able to dig a good post hole, but you can't run a business, right? So, so check I, your- I'd ego. argue that there's a lot of us that are CEOs of multi-million dollar <laughs> operations that can't really run a business, Dallas. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So work with me here, man. I'm trying to make a point. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think sometimes as, as the incoming generation, we need to check our ego and, and slow it down a bit and just realize this is not going to be an overnight transition and, and that, that this will take time to happen. And it's reasonable that it does take time to happen. With that being said, though, I would go on to say there needs to be a timeline. If, if you just come on and say someday, right? Well, someday when you're 25 turns into 35, turns into 45, turns into 50, and you're still looking up to a 75-year-old to give you your marching orders in the day, and that's not successful, right? So, so there needs to be a timeline. Okay, and I, I like kind of how Brian laid out. Okay, I'm going to come back here, and, and this is going to be my role today. Three years from now, I'm going to be doing this. 
and I'm going to have this enterprise that I'm in charge of. I'm going to be building budgets for this, and I'm going to be responsible for managing money, and I'm going to have one employee that reports directly to me, and you know, and then three years from then, then, then we'll be here. Right. And then I'll be in charge of the, the finances for the entire ranch and I'll be uh, putting together our economic projections and I'll be doing our risk management plans and I'll be doing our grazing plans and, you know, and all employees will be reporting to me. So, so build in that, that step-by-step, what does it look like? Where can somebody go to learn how to do all that? Do you have a bell or some kind of a noise yes. that you make? I have a button right here and I'm ready to mash it. You know, I've heard this, this place called Ranching for Profit. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, we're, we're in the business of helping people learn how to how to become business owners and, and to run this stuff. So if we can be a part of that, we'd love to love to help. I just wanted to make sure you had an opportunity to get your plug in there. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Let me, um, if, if late September, early October, we're doing a three day succession, um, intensive. And so if people want to really dive into getting the succession part of their business, right, both the, both the asset succession, but perhaps more importantly, the management succession. Right. Um, so we're going to, for three days in Cheyenne, Wyoming, um, we're going to be there. Dave Pratt is, has done the curriculum development on this program. We've been working on it for years, and I'm really excited to launch it. So um, it's it's only open to alumni of the Ranching for Profit School. So if you're not an alumni, it's time to fix that. <laughs> so they, do they still have time to go through a Ranching for Profit School before the succession intensive? Uh, you know, we've got one in Washington that is the first week of September. I'm not sure when this show is going to air, but uh, Before that then. one currently has about eight seats remaining. Okay. That's yeah. almost full. That's good. Yeah. So uh, we need to roll into a question we got out of the Ranching Reboot paddock, and I'm going to paraphrase it, and I hope, hope the person that asked it isn't upset. They asked a really generic question about benchmarks for ranching for profit, and I said, can you be a little more specific and I think more what he's asking about is what are some of your benchmarks that you've talked about and you talk about often um, from Ranching for Profit and the High Plains Ranch Practicum that you look for in a profitable business? Like uh, one of the ones that comes to mind is pounds weaned per cow exposed. Okay. Yeah. So uh, and, and you want the benchmarks around people side, you said? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, production and people. If uh, if we can be cover that, okay. Yeah, so um, let's let's start with the people one since since that's where we're talking. Um, so when we start looking at benchmarks, we're generally talking about economic things, right? And and so business performance numbers that are that are based on targets. And an important thing to realize about benchmarks is be- benchmarks are not averages. So we're not saying, well, this is where the average business is, okay? Because the average business sucks, okay? The average <laughs> business in agriculture is losing money, okay? So, so let's not compare ourselves to average because being, being better than bad does not make you good, okay? Yep, so, yep. <laughs> so benchmarks are, are the top 20%. So, you, you, you know, think about these as the, these are the, the really ones that are pushing it, okay? So the benchmark that I that – I, First one I popped into my mind since we're talking about people stuff is four hundred thousand dollars gross product per full time employee. 
So a, a business, you know, your gross product for people that aren't RFP alum, let's define these a little bit. Gross product is defined as your value of production. Before any expenses are taken out, land, labor, taxes, direct cost or overheads. Correct. Now it's, it's different from gross income, right? So, so if you're an, an easy way to think about this is let's go out and buy stocker, stocker cattle, and let's spend a hundred thousand dollars buying some stocker cattle in the spring. And then we're going to sell those same, those same cattle, the ones that live, we'll sell them. And we count all our money. And at the end of the year, we sold them for a uh, $125,000, right? So your gross product is the value that you added to those animals. So it was the value of production. So it was the $25,000. Okay. So, so gross product is your value of production. So what we do is we take your total value of production and we divide it by your number of full-time employees. Okay. So if a business has $800,000 of gross product and they have two employees, then they've produced $400,000 of gross product per FTE, per full-time employee. Right. Now, if you look at where most businesses are, they're running around $125,000 gross product per full-time employee. Okay. And, And you guys were talking about what does it cost to employ somebody? Well, if you're paying them, $30,000 $30,000 cash wages, their cost to you is probably closer to $70,000. Okay. So, so one unit of labor is going to cost most businesses about 70,000. Right. So think about this. You're paying somebody 70,000. The total gross product they've helped you produce is $125,000. Take out direct costs out of there. You, there's nothing left, right? So most of our businesses are barely, if even, covering the cost of the employee that's, that's managing them. Okay. So our benchmark would, would suggest you need to be, you need to structure your business so that one employee is really good at creating value. Okay. It doesn't mean they're working hard. Okay. It's, you, you could have somebody that's working three days a week producing $400,000 of gross product. Okay. But they're, the things that they're doing are really high-value tasks. Okay, so they're they're producing things that are good, um, and and they're also generally fairly simple, and they run at scale. Okay, so think about a a ranch that's calving in the middle of the summer, and one employee is taking care of a thousand cows. Okay, there there you go. That'd be more like seven hundred thousand dollars of gross product per FTE. What that person would be doing, okay? And so, one man for a thousand animal units is also that's another benchmark that I've heard. So Burke Tigert uses that one, and and I, I like it. I think that's a that's a nice high bar. Um, I think most of our clients, um, you know, that might be a little bit of a stretch, and and they might not want their ranches to look like what what a ranch that's doing that might look like. Um, you know, so I, I think of the ranches that I've been on that are, that are running at that, they're pretty low overhead places, right? So there's, there's not many fences that are painted and lawns that are mowed. I guess I would put it that way. Okay. So, so you decide what, what you as an ownership body, how you want your place to look and to, and to be. Um, but boy, if you can run a thousand cows per FTE, uh, you've really got something good going on there. So you're, you're going to blow our benchmark away from the $400,000 of gross product for FTE. So, so th- there's one of the benchmarks to work for it. It's um, this is something a, a lot of people in ag, they look at their businesses as something to create jobs for family members. Right. So mm-hmm. instead of it being a real business, Why is that a bad thing. 
What's that? Why is that a bad thing? Well, <laughs> are you asking him to make the same gross product that a, another full-time employee would make? Is yeah. that is that where that's coming from? Well, that's part of it. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, really, instead of saying, well, I mean, if you were a real business, how would you go about deciding if you need to hire another employee or not? You'd say, okay, what 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 needs to be done in the business, right? Where where is the work um, that's going to create value? What what kind of skills would we look for in this person to do this, right? So we're going to step back and look at it from that perspective, rather than saying, well, here's Stuart and he needs something to do, so let's put him on payroll, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put him on a payroll and make him go paint fences for a while. When he's done with that, maybe we'll figure out something else for him to go do. But it's really common in families, right? It is. Yeah. It is. But, or, or one uh, of the worst ones that I see is younger generation comes back to the operation and wants to work. And dad's like, yeah, here you go. Here it is. And they check out and go on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> Or the, or they start hitting conferences every other month and trainings and going to meetings and you know going to the school that shall not be named. You know that's almost that's almost inverse. We should be investing in our new hires and getting them out to the conferences and you know ranch visits and tours and schools to get get more training. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. just little little mini rant there. I am a professional meeting goer. That's my role. <laughs> Go to meetings as a profession. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, look at, at back on the subject a little bit. Uh, Jolene Brown, uh, some of you guys probably might have seen her. She's a farm family uh, consultant, does a lot of speaking around. She says we, you need to be a business first family. Right. So so get your business done so that you can be a family. So mm -hmm. a, a business first family would not hire somebody just because they share your last name and are breathing. Right. They're they're going to hire somebody based upon what the business needs and the skill set that person brings. I, I remember it when I think in 06, when I went through the school, Dave Pratt put it like this. If you had two people that came to you for a job. One had a college degree and work experience from when they grew up. They had a background. They had good work references, and they offered to work cheap. And the other one had been a bum traveling around Europe for two years. Which one do you hire? And it doesn't matter what anybody says. The correct answer is the one that shares your last name. Right. Which is probably the bum been traveling around Europe for two years. <laughs> Uh, yep, I remember that example. And I think he followed it up with the thing of of which of these criteria are make them the best qualified. Is it is it their last name, their gender, or their birth order? Which of those make them the most qualified for the position? And the answer is none of them. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to really sidetrack you there about uh, about benchmarks. So, what were some of the other benchmarks uh, for people other than you know the. Burke Tykert says a thousand AUs per man, and that may be more in not just an overall, you know, labor and management situation. That might just be if you have a guy, that's how many, that's how much livestock he should be able to to handle by himself with good stockmanship skills. Yeah, you should you should bring Burke on there because I think they do include um, uh, management in there. I remember when when he used to talk and. Um, he had, you know, Deseret uh, and, and all the office staff in, in his position. He said, we're, we're counted in that as well, 
So they count all those FTEs and, and that, that was kind of the ratio they're looking to run. Um, so, so that, that gross product per FTE is, is probably one of the, the most pointed benchmarks on that. Um, so at the school, we walk on the benchmark thing. We walk through this thing we call the, the profit tree, right? Or the deadwood finder. So, so we take profit and we say, okay, what, if, if you want to determine profit, you have to do what minus what? And, and we've walked people through the economics by this, right? Pointed, and it's, well, we have to take our total gross margin minus our overheads. Okay. So, so if profit is a problem, then the, the problem has to lie either in gross margins or in overheads. And, and so we've got some benchmarks that'll point you to which branch on that deadwood tree lies the biggest problem. Okay. So I'm going to hold the answer for the school. <laughs> so if you want to learn the secret sauce, uh, you, you got to come to the school to find out. But, uh, but th- that's how we use benchmarks is, is we point to where the deadwood is on this tree. Um, you know, so often when, how, how do people start diagnosing the, the issues in their business is they usually use a shotgun, right? And they say, well, profit stinks. So maybe I should look at which bulls to use, or maybe we should look at my feeding program, or maybe I should look at our vehicle replacement strategy or how many employees we're running. Right. And they just start taking guesses at these things. So, so what the benchmarks do is it points you to where lies the issue is your primary issue in gross margin meaning maybe, maybe the bulls are the issue or the, or the how much feed you're feeding is an issue because those are both parts of that gross margin equation or is the problem on the overhead branch? Is it have to do with, with land and labor costs and, and labor can be not just people but all the things and tools people are using. Um, so, so that's how we use benchmarks is we start di- uh, diving in to, to zero in on where the issue is. And the, the whole point is to take this shotgun blast and instead of it being a shotgun, turn it into a rifle shot and say, that's the issue right there. It, it's in this part of gross margin. Yeah. So knowing, fix that. knowing what the tool looks like, the benchmark number, is not the same thing as knowing how to use that tool effectively. That's right. That's right. So yeah. I, I think there's, there is a note of caution about benchmarks is we have to use them responsibly. Uh, that's right. And, you know, I, I, to be honest, I think people think benchmarks are a magic bullet. They're, they're yeah. not a, they're not a magic bullet. You're what, what you need to figure out for your business is how much profit do I need to make? What's, what's my profit target? Where am I at? And then what's my strategy to get there? Right. And, and I, you, some people are going to roll their eyes when I start saying that, but I mean, your, your profit target of zero might be perfect for what you want your business to do. Okay. Somebody else might say, well, I need a profit of $400,000 cause I'm trying to pay for this ranch. So, so they could look very different and both those could be uh, certainly appropriate at, at where they are. I, I think of a lot of people who come into ranching as a, as a place to park wealth or kind of a second or third career, right? Most of them have a profit target of zero mm-hmm. for their businesses. Okay. And, and that's perfectly appropriate for what they need that thing to do. Awesome. Awesome. So what uh, what are some production benchmarks that you'd like that you could share? Oh, so so let me throw out some of these things, and the, these aren't ones that we publish. These are just kind of my my hip pocket numbers, and and these move around from year to year. Um, so one one of the, my favorite ones I that I like to look at is amount of of hay fed per cow 
Um, so, you know, if you're looking for, if the gross margin of a business is not very good, you're going to start going down this trail of, okay, is it, is it that the direct costs are too high or, or is the production too low? So if your direct costs seem, if you've got a, a, most ranches are pretty good at production, right? We're, we're pretty good at weaning calves and at getting calves grown out. So oftentimes the problem lies in direct costs. So when we start looking at direct costs, one of the largest categories of direct costs is feed. And, and one of the largest of the feed is, is hay. Okay. So, so when we get down to that line, if somebody's feeding hay, um, got a half a ton or less per cow, you know, I, I don't need to go any further, right? That's not the problem. Right. So, I mean, if you're talking about a, a 30 day hay feeding period or less, um, the, your, your hay costs are not out of line. Right. Uh, but if somebody's operating on a six month hay feeding program, right. Or three tons per cow. You're, I mean, if you're there's, south there's of almost... the Arctic circle and you're feeding hay for six months out of the year. <laughs> I, I bet there's a ranch north of the Arctic circle that's feeding hay for 30 days a year. I bet there is. I'd love for them to, maybe they'll listen to this podcast and say, here I am. Right. It, I'd love to go visit that. I want to see that. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> so, so there's one, one of my favorite ones is, is hay cost per cow. Right. So I like to look at a less than 30 days of, of hay feeding per cow or, you know, a half a ton or less per cow that that's, then, you know, okay, the hay feeding is not the issue. Um, you know, on the, on the veterinary cost side of things, uh, health costs, you know, if, if we're running in the $25 per cow range on health costs, uh, that number, uh, it seems very appropriate. And actually, if you're way less than that, that might be an issue, right? Especially really? if you're, yeah, especially if you're having some outbreaks on things, right? Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, we're, we're only spending $5 a cow on health costs, but once every 10 years, we have a 50% death loss in our calf crop, right? That, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that would be health costs per cow. Um, you know, the, the, an interesting one that I always like to visit with people about is, is the mineral, the, the salt and mineral program. Uh, so we talked about hay costs. So another in the feed cost category would be the salt and mineral package. Um, you know, if, if, you're, if you've got acceptable production numbers and you're running at $15 or less per cow, in, in your mineral program, I'm not, I'm not going to challenge you at all. Right. That's, that's, that's really good. Um, there's some, sometimes you see that mineral package exceed $50 a cow per year and their production numbers are no better than anybody else's. Okay. So, so that kind of raises my, Oh, what are we doing here? You know, where oftentimes you start tracing the story back and it was, well, Five years ago, we had a breed-up wreck on this bunch of cattle, so we switched to the humdinger mineral package, and the next year we didn't have that wreck. So we're too scared to pull the legs out from that mineral package, right? Because we, we don't know if that fixed it or not, but it might have, right? Right. So, so we're going to spend an additional $40 a cow from now till perpetuity, right, for, for something that we don't even know if is the problem or not. So th- there goes your sponsorship from all the mineral companies i'm sorry oh darn <laughs> i don't know i've been listening to a lot of steve campbell lately and according to him the only thing you need to feed is, is sea salt okay oh, so, not apple cider vinegar well at apple cider vinegar baking soda sea salt and there, there's a fourth one he, he mentioned at, i'll have to go back and listen to that one again plug for my buddy clay that was on working cows uh working cows yeah. podcast like 195 or 196 yeah are you uh how about moon dust and unicorn farts are you adding that yet uh biochar 
Does that count? Biochar. Okay, yeah, that's kind of unicorn farts, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> biochar and garlic. Um, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so anyway, there, there's some kind of hip pocket benchmarks for some numbers. Um, you know, bull cost per cow is another one we see enormous variation in. Um, you know, of, of guys that are spending uh, north of $150 per cow per year in breeding costs. Um, and then you have some comparable businesses where that's, that's a profit center. That's not even a cost center. It's a profit center of, you know, figuring out ways to have those bulls around that service your cows, but they become a profit center them themselves. Okay. So, I mean, there's a huge swing on, on a number right there. Yeah. I can I, I can see that. I think I heard a couple of weeks ago, the average sale price for the last twelve months of Black Angus bulls was over six thousand dollars. Wow! Wow! Hmm. Man, be interesting to know that statistic because I bet it's it's probably just ferreted out of the bull sales, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the stuff that sold after the sale happened is probably not in there. Or a lot and of then, private treaty. Yeah. And then it, it's probably going to include all those, <laughs> back to unicorn farts, all those bull sales that are based on unicorn farts, right? That are the, the $60,000, $80,000, $120,000 ones. Unobtainium. So, unobtainium. That's a better <laughs> word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you one more benchmark. Um, equipment depreciation and repairs uh, per cow. Uh, 50 bucks or less, you're probably doing pretty good. Okay. So you take your total equipment depreciation repair cost, divide it by the number of cows. If it's less than 50 bucks, you're probably doing pretty good. There are some ranches that would run north of $200 equipment depreciation repair cost per cow. Because yeah. the cow's got to carry the weight of all that iron on their back. That's right. That's right. Now, there, there's a danger in looking at the benchmark that way, right? That's an overhead, right? So... So you're running a lot of guys that would, would have the same equipment to run 200 cows as they would 400 cows. Right. Uh, but I, I think the point is it, you got to cows have to be a pretty lean, lean thing to work. Right. I mean, uh, you can't have 125 cows and think she's going to pay for your, your $80,000 pickup. Right. And that she's going to cash flow that that's an unreasonable expe- expectation. Right. And the, and the ranch that's running a thousand cows per man is, is probably going to have a different equipment inventory from the ranch that's running 125 cows. Right. So too often you see the guys who, well, I, I've got a few cows, so I need all the toys to go with them. And then I wonder why my cow business isn't profitable. Figuring out, I think sometimes the key to success in ranching is the art of getting by on less. <laughs> Yeah, it sure, it sure can be. Yeah. But you know, there, there are things to spend money on. And I think sometimes our frugal rancher mentality uh, can actually get in the way of the business. Thank you for um, saying that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what would, what would be some things you guys would think of when that are, that um, maybe we, we tend to cheap out too much on. I, I don't, I don't have an answer for that, but at, uh, you know, there's something needs to be said about monuments to tax avoidance. Oh, Brian, <laughs> I, I'm going to go ahead. Uh, so I think it's like sometimes you'll kind of put a band-aid solution to like building a like either corrals or like even housing. And you're like, why did we build this 
really ugly, shoddy looking thing because it was cheap and it was fast and it was convenient. And then it's like, then you have to rebuild it in five years or even less than that if you have really windy area, which we do. And I'm like, why can't we just buy something really nice that's going to last 30 years? Um, Do it right the first time. Yeah, Yeah. I love it. And I think to think about what that might be danger that you're exposing your help to as well. Yeah. Right. You know, I saved a thousand bucks, but I, it broke so-and-so's arm up or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now we're $30,000 in medical bills. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What, what's the current meme safety third. Yeah. Yeah. That's Mike Rowe. I've got the, uh, I've got the mask, you know, he was selling coronavirus masks that say safety third. So (laughs) Yeah, I, I love it. He's good. <laughs> I mean, it, it, we joke about it, but safety really should be the first thing on everybody's mind. Yeah. You know, when you when you go to the ranch every day, you know, we talked about risk earlier, risk in the business and personal your risk. Your exposure, yeah. 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 What is your exposure? What What risks are you taking in a day? And what are your safety risks? You know, personally, uh, like two and a half years ago, when I got hurt and it was my own stupid fault for working unsafely with tools in an improper manner. You know, we need to be building a safety culture a little bit too. And thinking about, are we doing things safe and not, you know, like CK brought up, you know, let's not skimp on this gate. Let's take a minute. Let's fix it right. So it's not a safety issue later. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. There's a a few ranches I know of that have a culture of doing a safety meeting before Mm -hmm. they start the day. Right. Yeah. So, hey, we're going to do this today. What are some safety concerns we're thinking about? What are we going to do to mitigate those? And it, it's five minutes, right, of just standing around before you jump on your horse or whatever to, to go out and do it. Yeah, I like that. You know, when, when you're a one-man show, it's a little bit different, you know, or if it's just you and somebody else. But when you have a team, three, four, But it's also more. good to have it in writing that you did these things because if you get any kind of liability issues and you're like, no, I did these talking to positions where I told them this is what their risk for exposure was, and I don't know, I feel like that kind of helps your case. That's a good point. That is a great point. I mean, documentation is never a bad thing. Well, we that's bring, what we do. You- yeah. I want you to brief your dog tomorrow, Brian, when you guys go out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He usually flies solo on Saturday morning, so just go out with cows and have coffee. There you go. Good. Some other places to spend money on, you know, back to the you can't ever find good help. Well, let's see. It's because I brought them out here, and I gave them a really crappy place to live where the bathroom works 50% of the time. Oh, and the ceiling tiles are falling out of the ceiling. And I wonder why, you know, I can't keep any help around. Why'd that guy quit within after 10 days with no notice? Right. Right. You know, or, or you give, or you don't give them the right tools to get their job done. Right. Or things that are always breaking down on them, things like that. So I think keeping the employees, uh, making comfortable to do their work and, and comfortable place for their family to be, that's, that's pretty critical. And then I think the, the other one I would bring in, and maybe this is a little self-serving, but I think it's right, is, is professional improvement, professional development. So, you know, to have a, a culture in your organization that we invest in people, right? And what does it take to help you develop yourself? Right. We don't need to ask your recommendation for what someone listening to the podcast should do for their pers- professional development. What has Dallas done for your, for your Dallas's professional development lately? That's a great question. Yeah. So um, 
I'm, I'm looking at going to the Dave Ramsey, um, one of their leadership deals. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty excited about that. A friend of mine here who runs a pretty large con- uh, construction company has a pretty good team on. They've been a part of that for a few years and, and have really enjoyed it. So I'm I'm looking at doing that for myself. Um, you know, we're looking at some of the Covey stuff and some of the E-Myth stuff. Uh, to be honest, we this last year at COVID, we, we dropped the ball as a team. On, on that. So we're looking to make up for it a bit here, uh, moving forward. But, uh, you know, I, I, I would say to, we do this at our, at our team is, is I budget a one month's uh, salary per person on my team that I kind of put in a, a kitty that, that I tell them they're in charge of identifying something, bringing it to me for, uh, for approval. And then I, I want to just give them the thumbs up that, yeah, that, that's something that fits your role here and, and go for it. So I really put it on their shoulders to, to identify that and, and, uh, and then do it. But one month salary is, is kind of what I budget. Doesn't mean I'll spend it every year, but maybe next year we'll spend double, uh, you know, on something. So. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, We'll lighten the tone up a little bit before we slide on out. So let's, uh, how's your grazing year going? We're about in the middle of the grazing season for you. Yeah. 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 This is, it's going really good. Last year was a terribly dry year for us. Um, we were probably about 15% of long-term average in terms of forage production. Uh, this year we're, we're right about that average mark. So it feels like we got all the grass in the world. And then especially from going to other places that are, that are really struggling with dry conditions this year. Um, so it's, it's been sobering to, to see what others are going through. Uh, we're having, we're having dang good response. Um, I'm actually grazing a, a field uh, these last few days that's been, it's right across the road from my house. I've had the lease on it for about five years and we've been um, working hard on building that soil back up. Mm-hmm. And, and this year we're seeing some amazing responses from that. It's where we did that. We sh- where we shot that bale grazing video um, is where this place is. And, and so we were starting to see from the bale grazing we did there last year in part, uh, but just, you know, from, I, I like to credit it to better management. Um, so we're taking probably three times the number of cow days off of that field this year than we ever have since. Wow. Since yeah. So that one's exciting to see. Uh, I got a lease on a, a mountain ranch last year. This is our second year um, up there. And I hired a young man who's living up there and he's doing, doing the internal fences on that. Um, essentially all the internal fences were, had been laying on the ground for about seven or eight years. So he's going up there, putting all those up. Uh, so, uh, next growing season, we'll have the opportunity to, to do some management up there and, and get those animals moved around quite a bit more, but, uh, but you did, but yeah, you did get it. You did get your mountain ranch stocked. I, we did. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got cows up there. Um, you know, it's a, it's a conservative stocking rate right now, but we don't have any ability to control grazing other than just with water right now. So, um, so hopefully next year we'll be able to do that. Uh, that's been nice having, a having a, a more full-time person to, to help with the day-to-day on the place. So, right. um, but yeah, he's doing an incredible job and, and, uh, we're going strong there. So the great grazing season is off to a good start. Got some protein out in front of these cows just, uh, this last week. So, um, it is starting to be supplementation season for us. Just because your grass is, is already starting to roll off. Yeah. Down, down here at the Wheatland flats, we're, we're into that phase three time of year. And most of this is irrigated pasture type ground. So we're on kind of swampy ground. So a lot of our stuff that we're grazing now is going to be waist to chest high 
fully seeded out, browning out stuff. Uh, so we're we're coming into it deep into phase three. So we're keeping some protein in front of them. Are you running that at fairly high stock density? Uh, we are, yeah. Right now on this stuff across the road from the house, we're we're doing twice a day moves. Um, so we're there's about ninety pair in there, and what are they getting? Maybe uh, maybe a half an acre for uh, maybe three quarters of an acre for for each half a day. So They're well over a hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, so we'd we'd be right in there. That's yeah. awesome! I can't wait to wait to see pictures. Yeah, it's cool. I'm actually just shot a drone video this morning of a of a move, so we'll be editing that together, and it'll probably land on the Ranching Profit YouTube page. Uh, did you get your own drone? I've had a Mavic for several years, man. I, I don't. I either I knew that, either I didn't know that, or I forgot. I mean, one of the two. Yeah, I'm a drone dork. <laughs> yeah. You can leave that word drone off in the, the it's probably equally <laughs> applicable. <laughs> Got to embrace it, right? I'm a dork yeah, too. That's right. <laughs> CK, you're just hanging out with a couple of dorks. I'm sorry. Just got to own it. <laughs> CK, we're, we're cooler because we hang out with CK. That's yeah. right. She <laughs> She's brings the, up the cool factor for sure. Yeah, okay. She's the cool kid in the group. <laughs> well, do we leave anything on the table today, Dallas? I think I think we got it. You know, I appreciate the free form of this and the conversation style. We can. I don't feel like I'm doing a presentation when I talk to you guys, so it's it's fun to do. We just want to have fun conversations with our friends and share them with the world. All right. <laughs> well, Dallas, really appreciate you joining us again, and uh, I guess we'll catch you later. All right. Thanks for the work you guys do. I enjoy listening to it. Yep. Thank <laughs> you.